Welcome to First Time Lord. I'm Daniel Levain, and as the title of the podcast implies, I am a newbie when it comes to this. I am a first-timer in that I had never seen Doctor Who until this very podcast started, and now I watch it every week, and every week I get more excited and more into this amazing, deep, mythological show that is Doctor Who. And this week, I'm going to excitedly be talking about the planet of the Ood. And if you are a longtime listener of the podcast, you know when there are Ood present, I have an expert, somebody with a wealth of knowledge, with so much to share about the Ood that I had to bring him back for this episode, and that is John Sobel. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we, uh, we've we talked about the Ood in the past and about the possibility. They almost were in another episode that we talked about uh, shortly after that. So yes. this is, uh, I love the Ood. I love coming back to uh, creatures from you know, previous episodes. So before we jump into the episode, dear listener, if you have not watched the episode Planet of the Ood, now is a perfect time to pause the podcast, go watch the episode, because in the course of our conversation, we will inevitably reveal the plot of the show. And I don't want to spoil you. I want you to have the same experience I had and then come back and listen to it so that we can together learn more about it. So yes, here it and is. Being your friend, <laughs> and being your friend, it's hard to not spoil you because we were so excited about these episodes. But even before we get to that, okay. I had a question. I happen to be listening back to some of the first episodes because uh, I was trying to relive some of the old stuff that we had talked about. And in the very first episode, which is Rose, mm -hmm. Rose at one point came across a person who was following the doctor, uh, who knew all about the doctor. And one of the things that the doctor said was death is his only true companion. Mm -hmm. And at the time, obviously only having one episode under your belt you had more questioned the fact that is death rose. Mm. As we've learned, truly, death follows the doctor. As in the episode in London where we first met uh, Jack Harkness. Yes. Actually, the doctor actually says, for the first time, everybody, everybody lives. Everybody lives, Rose. So everybody lives. So this is a, an ongoing thing that death is the doctor's true companion. So I was just curious to, now that you've been a few, a few seasons in, what you thought of that statement. Well, it, it, it's funny because uh, while I did question, is Rose basically death? Uh, ultimately, she turns out to be life, uh, life everlasting in the case of Jack. Uh, right. She gives him life uh, that cannot be taken away. Uh, so I, that, that's, that's a very interesting turn of events that I did not foresee happening. Um, but, I mean, I, I believe that that statement still holds true because while some people have been more fortunate than others, uh, there is always that looming possibility, and in almost every episode, somebody ends up perishing. Somebody ends up uh, uh, not 
coming out of the uh, the episode alive. So the the doctor certainly brings that on around him. Sometimes it's people that he directly interacts with. Sometimes it's people that he indirectly interacts with, as we saw in episodes like Blink and Love and Monsters. So it's it's interesting, but yeah, it's still it, it's one of the few things that still holds true from that very first episode. And I always found that interesting, having been an old Doctor Who fan watching the original series, and it was always the same case. The you know the Doctor does save the day, but inevitably there are people around him that are going to die, and so it was just as now that you're now that you're a seasoned veteran. Of uh, well, know, three four full, series, three full mean. seasons. Yeah, it, plus going going just, in. You know, we're we're three episodes into series four, so I, I'm right. not I'm not a season expert by any means. I'm just, <laughs> I'm still a novice. I'm still a baby. There are books yes. and comic books and audio books and all of the original <sighs> stuff that I have yet to delve into. So. And Torchwood and the Sarah Jane Adventures and yes. Yes, yes. I have I have not delved into uh, the Sarah Jane Adventures. I've started to dip my toe in Torchwood now that I've reached the end of series three. Um, so yeah, there I, I am far from an expert yet. But, uh, <laughs> by the end of this, uh, hopefully I and uh, you, dear listener, will come out of this with all of the Doctor Who knowledge you could possibly ever want encapsulated in neat little short episodes. Sounds like a plan to me. So speaking of, uh, so Rose, this is, <laughs> Rose appeared, uh, but this is, uh, you know, Donna's second uh, foray or, or journey uh, on the TARDIS. And this is her first like extraterrestrial journey. She, you know, she visited the past, uh, as seems to be the case with most of the companions. They always go back into the past first, then into the future. And then, you know, they jump around from there. So this is her first foray into the future and into the extraterrestrial future, uh, for that reason. Uh, even though the doctor did say that he set the TARDIS on random. Yes. Which seems a, a weird <laughs> statement to make, considering the TARDIS tends to have a mind of her own and take him wherever uh -huh. she wants. Yes, it was not a setting that he chose, but a setting that the TARDIS chose. And this was definitely a place where the doctor was needed, uh, Yeah, as we, as we <laughs> see later on. But I really enjoy the fact that it was uh, a different planet and how uh, Donna was saying, you know, how nervous and excited she was at the same time. And then looked at the doctor basically saying, you don't get this anymore. Do you, you've been doing this for so long. He's like, no, I still get this. I love this part. Yeah. And I love that. It's such a great way of, of uh, realizing that now uh, the doctor still really enjoys doing this, this whole stuff. It's no, it's not a chore. It is, what he wants to do it, well and it's uh, for somebody and you can appreciate this as somebody that has been uh, on the boards before but when you do something that pushes you a little bit out of your comfort zone like acting or you know being on stage and that you experience that once you get that hit once you get those dopamine hits once you get that laughter of the audience reaction of the audience 
it it's difficult to want to go back and at the same time you get nervous and scared every time it never goes away uh, yes and that's I, I think one of the things that I love most about the, that statement in that even 900 years into his life, it's still fresh to him. It's still, you know, excites him not to know uh, because as, uh, as we discussed last week in the Pompeii episode, you know, his burden is to see everything, uh, both the actual and the plausible and the should not happen. So for him to, you know, have that excitement still uh, in certain situations uh, or be able to share in that excitement, even if it's not his first time in that location, to be able to share that with somebody, it's great. It's great that he still has that aptitude and that, you know, that carries him through. That that, that That's a wonderful uh, thing for him to have, a, a wonderful quality. Oh, absolutely. And it's so much fun that... Uh... He still has that childlike wonder. Uh, we have not lost that yet with, with, the, the, with the doctor uh, saying, I just want to go out and explore. And then he opens the door, and the first thing that he sees is snow. <laughs> and he's even more excited that it's snow because, as we've talked about in all the Christmas episodes, there has been snow, but the first year was the Sycorax ship. Basically, the ash of the, the ship, you know, yeah. ash of the ship being after being destroyed the second time with Donna, he made it snow through a through, through an atmospheric event through the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And then the third time it snowed, it was more uh, exhaust from the Titanic as it nearly destroyed the Buckingham Palace. So this was the first time it actually snowed. But I, I love the fact that he says that. Uh, and then, of course, it's, you know, it's fake movie snow, not real right. snow, uh, which made me laugh. And I don't know how many other people would have even picked up on that. Right. And then, of course, and then he turns around, he starts or then he starts waxing uh, poetic. Oh, yes. About Donna stepping, uh, <laughs> stepping onto alien soil for the first time and, and turns around after and she's out there because she's went in to get a parka. She, she's doing her Donna thing. She's like, uh, (laughs) you know, goes out there wearing a sleeveless shirt. And then she's like, Nope, not doing this. (laughs) Goes back into her trunks and comes back out with her, you know, parka. Right. uh, Not being able to hear anything over, you know, over, over the hood. Right. Exactly. So it's, I love that. That, that was, that, I enjoyed that almost every time I watch the episode. I turn, he turns around and she's not there. I I really appreciate the relationship that they're cultivating. Uh, and I said that during the first episode, uh, you know, her the first episode of the series, the her first official, I guess, episode as the companion. Uh, you know, the I I love that that the doctor was very forthright with her and what he wanted and what he needed. And she was very forthright with him and what she expected and what she wanted because uh, she even mentions it in this episode. You know, there's a there's a moment in which, you know, faced with what the doctor comes to, you know, comes face to face with all the time. She kind of recoiled a little bit and she, you know, she had a moment where she's like, I kind of want to go home. I don't want to do this anymore. This is too painful. Right. This is too much for me. 
it's a, it's a lot. It, it definitely is. You know, again, it's it's the Mickey can, uh, conundrum. You know, do you want to go uh, on the TARDIS and see all this stuff, which is wonderful, but could also be terrifying, or do you want to be stay home where it's safe? Well, and, and the question is, <laughs> how many of us would take that? You know, how many of us would be Mickey, and how many of us would be Rose? Well, and I, I still, you know, uh, Jamie Kern mentioned how uh, a lot of us think that we would be like Rose and want to go out an adventure, but realistically, most of us would be more like Mickey. We're like, oh, yeah. you know what? Uh, I'm good. I, I'll, I'll just watch from over here. Um, but I, I love the fact that you know this is Donna who has spent a considerable amount of time searching the Doctor out. And, you know, she she went through some stuff last week in Pompeii. And here this week, she, you know, she couldn't take the song of the Ood. She starts crying and and begs the doctor to take the ability to hear them away because it just it was too much for her, uh, which is refreshing to see. to, To see a companion that isn't quite up to the you know, the emotional fortitude uh, to kind of go toe-to-toe with the doctor. You know, in, in, in Martha's case, she seemed to jump in, you know, both feet, no worries, no problem. Uh, in Rose's case, she just kind of seemed to be thrust onto it, but she took to it like a fish to water. And oh, here's, you know, here's Donna who has been searching it out and now that she has that opportunity, she's like, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, and I appreciate that because, you know, th- this episode deals with uh, some heavy duty stuff and, and it confronts it in a way that the last time we saw the Ouds, it was mentioned and we talked about it in the episode, but then it, it never really comes, uh, n- nothing ever comes of it, which is the whole idea that this is a subservient species. They're slaves. They're treated like slaves. They're well kept slaves, but they're slaved. They're enslaved, and this oh, absolutely. episode yeah. absolutely confronts that head on in a way that I found, uh, you know, it, it was very interesting. It was I, I, I kind of felt like the Ood were owed that episode. <laughs> well, yeah, especially with the with the uh, Impossible Planet Ood. Um, where they were with the, they still had the red eye and still with the murderous, uh, of the translation, uh, ball, mm-hmm. yeah, electrocuting people. Um, but that was, um, that was being, uh, um, crop tour. It was, was really, uh, um, the beast was, uh, being possessing them. Uh, it wasn't, uh, they weren't near the, they weren't on the Ood sphere where they, uh, are created, are born, are hatched. They never, they, they kind of were around it, but not necessarily how they were, um, came to be. Well, the, the doctor kind of mentions it, you know, the last time he ran into them, there was somebody with a much stronger will that kind of usurped them. Uh, and he felt bad. He says, you know, I, I had to kill them all. Uh, and so I kind of owe it to the Ood now to really, figure out what's going on with them, uh, which I appreciated. Um, And then, you know, we see this, you know, (laughs) evil corporation, you know, benefiting from the sale of these ouds. And, 
you know, I'm I'm no international or galactic financier, but it seems like 50 credits is uh, not a lot. <laughs> well, you saw that that gentleman before he uh, met his uh, down, downfall <laughs> was very upset with that because he knew that would be a problem. Uh, 50, that 50, 50 credits is not enough money to, uh, to keep going. But, um, but either way, uh, the doctor, you know, the doctor and, and Donna, um, find their way, uh, in with the buyers, uh, using the psychic paper yet Which again. I, yeah. Love the psychic I, paper. I love how he fools the, 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 the PR person, you know, and she just buys in cause she's doing her job and she lets them in. Uh, and then, you know, when, when they have that opportunity where the doctor is literally looking at her going, you know, this is wrong and you can help me. And she makes that choice to sort of stay with the status quo, I thought was a very interesting moment because yes. you know it it echoes a lot of what's happening in our current uh, political system in our society where you know confronted with the truth people still opt to go with their you know political or financial interest over the reality and what's best for the greater, you know, <laughs> the, the greater expanse in this case, you know, there's this poor life form that is enslaved that is being forced into serv- servitude. And this, this woman absolutely knows she understands that it's wrong. Right. She just doesn't care. She just wants to hold on to her status quo. Right. It's almost the the question of the devil, you know, versus the devil you don't know. Well, you know, which, it, it, which way do you go? It's mentioned in there, but, you know, I maybe I'm <laughs> maybe I'm adding all of this new world order and what's happening in our world to <laughs> an episode that aired, you know, <laughs> several at least a decade ago. Right. Uh, but, it you know, it is it does seem like. Uh, everybody in there, including the, the the big boss that keeps drinking the hair tonic, uh, you know, they they all have a choice. They all made a choice, and they're all you know completely. They they do they do not care that that choice means putting down this race of uh, of beans that you know could or could not possibly have a set of likes and dislikes that is opposite of what they're being forced into. Uh, and, you know, the, that their free will is being literally taken away, as we learn, by taking their brain, the thing that, you know, a, uh, it, it's an entire species that is defenseless, the way Donna puts it. They're defenseless because they have their mind literally on their hands. So they have yes. to be trusting. And here's the human race, uh, you know, the worst elements of the human race, completely enslaving them and saying, okay, we'll take advantage of this. Right. I mean, and that's, that's one of the best parts of the episode was, and obviously we're skipping around a lot, but, but where Donna uh, goes after uh, Halpern, uh, the, the, the bad guy of the episode, uh, saying, you know, they're literally born with their, with their brains in their hands. Of course they have to be open to everybody. 
because they don't have the ability to not. They don't have a defense. Mm-hmm. They're too. They're 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 relying on holding their uh, their the the part of their brain that gives them personality. Basically, uh, they said it was like the medulla. It's the hi, the hindbrain, which is mm-hmm. uh, like their medulla oblongata, which gives them their personality. So yes, that's they remove it and translate and put it with the translation sphere is giving them a lobotomy. And that's why they're, they don't have any free will, which is why they're so eager to serve. Mm-hmm. And actually in my notes that this episode actually in the wibbly wobbly time frame <laughs> happens before, uh, impossible planet in linear time. Oh, okay. So, they were this, so this is this is definitely something that uh, people knew and still were able to, you know. So they were still going strong, dude. And now, who knows now uh, that the doctor has gone back, what that meant moving forward in time. If you wanted to revisit that area and see what would happen, it may be completely different. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, because <laughs> the wibbly wobbly <laughs> timeline. Uh, and the doctor not playing nice with uh, with continuity, uh, that would definitely have an impact on on him and Rose. Oh yes, um, uh, but I have a feeling that you know that that exploration would have happened with or without the Ood. Uh, oh yes, absolutely. I did enjoy the fact that we find out that the Ood are uh, the, where we are. Um, we're on the Ood sphere during the second great and bountiful human empire. <laughs> and we talked um, about the third at this point and the fifth, right? right? Exactly. Third and fifth. And then it was, um, what was it? That the doctor had been in the quadrant. And I found out that that was a, uh, where is it? Where he had, uh, he said, yeah, he did the Ood sphere. He said, I've been to the solar system before years ago, ages mm-hmm. close to the planet sense sphere. And that was a first doctor adventure called the sensorites. Oh, uh, it was a, it was a similar alien race, uh, and had similar telepathic ability, but obviously this was in the late sixties, early to late sixties. So or mid to late 60s, let me rephrase. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> so they didn't look like the Ood at that point. But they could have been related, kind of like... They could have been, absolutely could have been related to the Kind of like the Slovene were related to the uh, Absorbalof, you know, in that yes. they were from neighboring planets with uh, similar, uh, you know, right. chemical it, compositions. It, yeah. They're not from Rexacor, Felipatoria, and they're from Nox. You're welcome. I, I brought right. that up just so that you could <laughs> practice the, the word you memorize so aptly. <laughs> yes, and I didn't even look it up. I just it just now it falls off, <laughs> off my tongue. I still can't figure out how to say it, but that's why I have uh, you on the on the podcast to be able to to discuss it. Um, so the, there is a mention uh, from the the head of the corporation that this is a family business, uh, and that his grandfather. Uh, I guess started the company, or I don't. I don't know. It, 
the implication was that his grandfather worked for the company. I don't know if the grandfather actually started the company, but that's how. No, but yeah, it was because it was over two. It was two hundred years that this has happened, so it's been in the family. It's it's been in the family for a long time. If yeah, it's not so maybe the full two hundred years, at least another generation or so before they would have started it. But um, the this gentleman, uh, you know, seemed to know an awful lot about what was happening in that uh, warehouse fifteen. Uh, which, you know, it, it seemed very funny that you know, there was this whole discussion about, you know, it's like, oh, I've never been inside the warehouse. I, I don't have high enough clearance. Uh, and then they walk up to it and it's got like a little push pad and it seems right. like the easiest thing to hack into. <laughs> At least based on everything that we now know about hacking into devices like this, you're like, okay, well, you probably weren't trying hard enough. And <laughs> Exactly. Or didn't know it was it was important enough to try to go in there, right? Right. It, maybe it was just disguised as something else, uh, but, right? Uh, you know, it's, I, it's just warehouse fifteen. It's, sure, yeah. It's you know, it's just a number. Uh, but I, I loved how they uh, the until the doctor, we don't really see what they're looking at down at. They're clearly looking down at something. And it has certain responses. You know, he pours down the liquid that he pours down and it has a response to it. But I love it that it's not until almost the end of the episode where we got, get to finally see what it is. Yes. Uh, you know, and it was it was not what I expected. <laughs> and let's just say that I, I did not expect that the the mother of or the father of or the origin of all the ouds would be this giant brain. A hive mind. <laughs> yes. There's a single brain that controls so that they can have their telepathic ability between the species. Well, because, of course, my little nerd uh, brain, my little nerd heart immediately was like, so basically it's like a giant crang brain or you know it, or like it's it's the bad guy at the end of Metroid you know from from a video game oh uh, yes i was like holy wow okay that's that's it's the, the big, thinker <laughs> right and i guess you know at this point it's not the big bad for the doctor cuz they've determined that you know Dr. Donna, friend, Dr. Donna, friend. Uh, yes. You know, in, in a very clear way, they're like, no, 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 we're here to help you. Uh, and and the brain sees that or senses that. Uh, but I, I did not expect this big giant brain to be the bad guy and for it to just like absorb an entire human being into its folds. <laughs> Especially if it's a human being who was, you know, who was a friend of the Ood and was, you know, you know, hiding in plain sight, trying to get, you know, you know, trying to help the Ood. Well, hopefully it was able to extract some of this, you know, guy's knowledge and, and, and use it for its own, you know, for, for its own furtherance of the species. Uh, we so certainly hope. <laughs> hopefully his death was not in vain, but uh, that was also a, a plot twist that i did not expect and almost an unnecessary one because we already had the doctor kind of doing the you know the the work uh so you know the the idea that he's like well i've been loosening the circle so that you know the brain could have more power and you're like you were only in there for like a hot second like 
I don't understand. Like that 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 was probably the weakest part of the story for me. Uh, everything yeah. else, you know, the the doctor uh, having that moment with the ood that were untainted. I think he used the word at one point. Uh, you know, I felt that that was uh, like. It was like seeing a zookeeper like lock himself in with his own animals because they don't see them as animals. They see them as equal, you know, beings that have life and sentience and uh, and need to be protected from people that just don't understand and want to treat them as lesser than. Uh, so, you know, it, in a sense, it's like watching Jane Goodall defend the, the chimps and, you know, uh, you know, it's like they, they have you know, a rudimentary system of society, just like we do. Uh, so why do we need to treat them as lesser than, uh, you know, so I, I love that about the doctor and, and Donna, how she very quickly, she was like, no, I want to, I want to be there for you. You know, from the very beginning, from watching the first dude pass away, uh, she, she clearly felt for them in a way that, uh, you know, some of, uh, the doctor's previous, I mean, certainly Rose had a different reaction to the Ood. She, she was, uh, sympathetic to them, but she wasn't, you know, like immediately like, Oh, I want to take care of you. I want to save you, you know? So, uh, it was great to see that. You know, again, it's a different, uh, you know, we've had, uh, three companions. Uh, and I think that as we've gone through, we've gotten a little older each time. And as you, you have, a little more ageless, a little more wisdom. Yeah, certainly the the, the wisdom and the maturity that goes uh, with with Donna, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I love the little moment where once again they're mistaken for husband and wife, and they're like, "Oh no, 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 we're not together. <laughs> we're not together." <laughs> no, they, they're very clear. It's just, she's very clear about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. That she's, you know, that she's there, but that's the end of it. <laughs> she is just there to travel. And and he is too. He's, you know, immediately like, no, 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 no. We're, we're not together. Oh, yeah. It's not a thing. Um, but, you know, I, I, I love those little moments because, again, it segments this or it reassures this uh, relationship that they have where it's very clear that it's just a friendship. They're both friends and they're... <laughs> she's a good companion to him right this second because she's there to help him. She's there to, uh, you know, to, to serve that need of like, I have somebody to show, I have somebody to care for. Uh, you know, I hate to say, you know, uh, it's almost like a pet, like, you know, he needs that companionship. He needs to have that person that he can feel like he can take care of and help and, uh, and instruct and show in the ways of the world. But at the same time, somebody that like Donna is going to ground him and is going to make him and push him to be a better person that his better, you know, sometimes his darker side can get away with him. You know, we talked about it during the, the Christmas special that Donna first appeared in, you know, he, he went dark there. He has the capability to go dark uh, and it's thanks to the companions, uh, and you know he he thanked Martha um, uh, at the beginning of this series uh, for for making him better. But he clearly he he knows that he needs that assistance. That he's not 
uh, he's not the best he can be without that person next to him. And in this case, I, I think Donna fills in wonderfully. And they're able to help the the Ood. They're able to sort of rescue this race uh, and and make this race sort of whole. Uh, I have a feeling, uh, and this is where I'm going to ask some questions that may lead to things that you cannot answer, but I have a feeling that now that the Ood are made whole, that they're probably going to come back in, uh, in a future episode, or is this it for the Ood? Yes, my microphone is on. Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> and uh, there we go. Um, so i i did not uh, i i did not see anything that felt out of the ordinary that I should have be paying attention to. So here's the part where you get to fill me in and be like, Daniel, you dummy, you missed this. So what did I miss? No, not not so much. There is uh, you know a couple of things that were important ish um <laughs> when when donna is talking about how fascinating that the earth is still populated despite the news articles about global warming she mentions the disappearance of bees and, and he does have a moment where he's like yeah i wonder what's going on yes yeah, so that's that will come up again um there is another, uh, some other, uh, that was really the only thing storyline wise that I remember that was important. There's, uh, a bunch of, of little things. Um, there was, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of ish, you know, things that were going on about other, other stories. Um, like I was saying, uh, in 42, um, the the uh, the were supposed to play a big part, but it just made it way too long. Um, there was also an episode, a, a early version of this script that included a long version of the Doctor looking in a lot of underground caverns, and that just had to be cut because of um, because of uh, time. Mm. The um, uh, helper in at one point talks about. Um, uh, talks about Donna and calling her Ginger. Yeah. And we do notice that uh, we remember that when the 10th Doctor regenerated, the 9th Doctor regenerated to the 10th Doctor, he was upset that he was not Ginger. <laughs> uh, uh, the fun, um, one of the actors under the Ood masks uh, had played a soldier in a 4th Doctor episode, The Terror of the Zygons, which we've Ooh. Uh, so that was, uh, that's, you know, people coming back, um, when Donna whistled and, uh, really loudly to, <laughs> yeah. as they were running off and she found something and he was, uh, was like, where did you learn to whistle like that? West Ham every Saturday. Of course it's, you know, football, <laughs> yeah. uh, football, London. Um, and Otherwise then, known um, as soccer here in the states, I, I appreciate right, that you yeah. called it football, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, I figured you would. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I, I would have said it otherwise, but so for for the American audience, he's referring to soccer. soccer uh, the rest of the world, let's go football. <laughs> right, and then um, uh, there is um, a lot of little things that are going on. Um, but I think I would rather let, uh, Ashley, 
tell us the rest. Well, that's a perfect lead-in then to uh, the amazingly talented Ashley and her TARDIS tidbits. So here we go, Ashley's TARDIS tidbits. This is Ashley's TARDIS tidbits for Series 4, Episode 3, Planet of the Ood. Although this was the third episode of the season to air, this was actually the first episode of the season that Catherine Tate filmed. The scenes taking place in the snowy setting were actually filmed on an extremely hot day at the Treefield Quarry in Wales. The fake snow was made up from tiny pieces of paper. The reappearance of the Ood in this episode was important to Russell T. Davies, as he felt they had been overshadowed by the devil in the series 2 two-parter, The Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit, and thereby overlooked by the Doctor. Davies and writer Keith Temple thought of this episode not as a, quote, fun reappearance of an old monster, but instead that there was an actual story to tell. The top secret lab in this episode is called Warehouse 15, a play on Nevada's famed alien research lab, Area 51. The scene at the end where Mr. Halpin turns into an ood had to be refilmed because the original was regarded as too horrifying. And that beautiful Ood song at the end of this episode. Remember that tune. Remember the Dr. Donna. And that ominous quote, I think your song must end soon. You will definitely want to remember that. And did you notice when the Ood said that, there was a tiny hint of the doomsday theme. Hmm. Spoilers. I love it. Uh, I did not hear the Doomsday song, so excuse to I watch heard it the, the episode s- the again. second time that I saw, I listened to this. I watched this episode before I heard uh, before I heard Ashley's uh, tidbits. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was watching it uh, this uh, yesterday, and I heard it for the first time, and then it was like, oh wait, I know that. Mm. It took a minute to figure it out, and then I listened to Ashley's tidbits. And I went, oh, yes, that's I, where that's from. I <laughs> love like I how it, I musically entwined she is uh, because it, it is it is a huge part of a show like this uh, to add atmosphere and to create that sense of familiarity and to drop in things that, you know, will be important in the future and accent them through familiar themes uh, and I love that she is so glued into that, that she shares that uh, with us through the tidbits and every time she's on the show, uh, because it genuinely does make the 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 next time I watch the episode, I not only hear it, but it becomes one of those like, how could I not have heard it? <laughs> so I love that she does that. Uh, I also love uh, she she talked about it, and uh, we have not yet on on the podcast. But the transformation, you know, we I mentioned that the the boss kept drinking that hair tonic, as in it as it turns out, the oud was slowly turning him into an oud itself, and. I, I loved it because it was a very simple transformation. So it's interesting to know that there was a more a quote unquote horrific version of it. I would love to see what that was because you, and you will never find it because I've searched. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, yes. 
may, maybe in the future uh, somebody will have the the version that they originally filmed and finally yes. release it to all of us because it it's you know it, it to me it felt like a very simple moment and for a creature that has that severe look the the, the ouds have and I think we talked about this uh, when they first appeared uh in that uh, in that episode um the impossible planet you know that they, they have that look of being a bad guy but they weren't really they were just usurped by the bad guy and so and here they're clearly not the bad guy but you know it, i i found that moment very awesome uh and uh out of all the possibilities of how this guy was going to get his just desserts i found it so satisfying to know that he was basically turned into the thing that he manipulated and benefited from and his family had manipulated and benefited from for so many years uh, so it's a wonderful sort of way uh, for the Ood to get payback. Absolutely. And then right after that, uh, Donna says, you know, being with the doctor, she doesn't know what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's so important because I don't think the doctor knows what's right and what's wrong because he's got to find it out. It's not a you can't walk into a situation and know this is wrong. This is right. You can feel it through, but you, but there's so many twists and turns, and you know, it's great writing that does that. Mm-hmm. That allows you to not necessarily watch an episode from you know within the first uh, ten seconds. Uh, I've always hated those episodes of shows where you know before you know they do a little scene before the opening credits, and then you get that close up of the one guy, and he gives like the 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 eerie look in his eye, mm-hmm. and you know he's the bad guy. Right. Uh, to, to not know, you know, to not know how it's going to go you know, is excellent writing. Well, and to not know, because even sometimes we've had bad people that have not been completely bad. They're just they're doing bad things that the doctor is going to stop, but they're not wholly bad. They're like almost well justified, mm-hmm. you know, so it just it's. It's a very interesting uh, way of uh, dealing with story. And in this particular case, I think Donna hits it dead on. You know, the the doctor doesn't always know what is right and what is wrong. He just knows inherently that he's there to help in some way, shape, or form. How that turns out to be is usually through the process of whatever story they're developing. Exactly. But that's fantastic. Thank you so much, John, for joining me for yet another sort of interconnected episode into the ones that you've already participated in. So it feels very yes. uh, organic. That you, It's almost like you had to be here. It's almost like we planned it this way. Almost. You just, you know, when you think of Ood, you think of John. Uh, I mean, we, we did plan it this way, dear listener. But uh, so, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. Uh, and as always, being uh, such a great uh, wealth of knowledge yourself. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on. I can't wait to, to uh, follow through and wait until, you know, with our next, with the next coming up episodes.
Well, as I, I said, <laughs> as I said during the Christmas episode, this is my favorite season. <laughs> well, I can't either. So far, three episodes in, and this is this this is feeling like a roller coaster, uh, and I have a feeling that we're only. Uh, halfway to the top that we haven't even gotten to the big surprises yet so i cannot wait but thank you dear listener for joining us for yet another episode here at the podcast i greatly appreciate uh, if you take a moment to uh, head on over to our website firsttimelord.com there you can support the show by commenting on this very episode or previous episodes you can always support the show financially by going over to the merch shop we've got t-shirts we've got uh, phone cases uh, all sorts of things that will all directly help keep the show going getting the production levels even better and sustaining the the hosting and all the things that have to happen Uh, but Most importantly, the way that you can absolutely help is share the podcast, share the episodes with somebody like me that has never watched the show but you know would love it and get them hooked on Doctor Who or share it with somebody who loves the show so much that wants to go back and rewatch it and enjoy listening to a novice get super excited and sometimes get things wrong. (laughs) But... Any, any new listeners would be greatly welcomed and greatly appreciated. You can find us on Facebook. We have a fan page there that I post every episode to, and you can comment there as well. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, we have a Twitter account as well. All of these can be found and are linked through the website, so please go to firsttimelord.com, and from there you can find all of the ways that you can interact with me and that you can interact with other fans of the show. But I guess I'm out of time and now is the time for me to head into the TARDIS and get ready for next week's episode. So catch you next week, everybody.